Hello and welcome to another of Casme's podcasts. My name is Graeme Crawshaw, the Procurement Content Director at Casme, and I'm delighted to be joined today by a very special guest, James Meads. James is one of our facilitators, and uh, well, if I, I'm going to let him introduce himself, and then we'll tell you what we're going to talk about in this particular podcast. James, great to uh, to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks, Graham, and pleasure to pleasure to be on the podcast. Actually, as uh, as a fellow podcaster myself, it's uh, it's always nice to be on the other side of the microphone for for a change. Yes, my it my is background. a bit ironic. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah, it, it's and I do like interrupting even on the podcast. It is ironic. You are probably the master of of podcasts, so that's why I'm really quite nervous today that we've got a. Uh, uh, the the, the Casby one. I just hope it uh, meets the standards that you uh, you expect. T- tell us about not only yourself but the the podcast uh, series that you operate. Yeah, so my background, like I guess most Casby facilitators, my background was in in corporate procurement. I I spent sixteen years in corporate before uh, I started my own business. So my my first role in procurement was as a graduate trainee with Jaguar Land Rover in the automotive industry. And then after I left JLR, I I worked in the automotive sector for a couple of tier one uh, automotive suppliers. Uh, One of those facilitated uh, a move out to Germany, where I actually spent most of my professional career out there. And then after the 2008-2009 recession, uh, I decided I'd like to work in an industry that's a little bit more recession proof. And uh, as we all know from the COVID crisis, there's nothing more recession-proof than toilet paper. So uh, I went to then move on to the onto the indirect procurement side with with an FMCG manufacturer in in the hygiene product space. So a toilet paper plus incontinence, um, femcare products, baby diapers, that type of thing. So I spent the rest of my career in the FMCG sector doing really all kinds of indirect spend, predominantly in relation to supporting manufacturing processes. So I did MRO, I did CapEx, I did facilities management. And then the last role that I did, I did a three-month secondment in Nigeria, which was fun. And and oh, wow. coming from yeah, and then coming from that, uh, I took over the logistics and distribution procurement for sub-Saharan Africa, which... Uh, was probably the most interesting role that I've had just in terms of understanding some of the challenges of of doing business in that part of the world, other than the obvious, you know, corruption, but just some of the structural challenges in terms of infrastructure. And, you know, in, if you're in, in, a, in a market where a lot of things are imported because they don't have a big domestic manufacturing sector. So, um, yeah, and then ultimately at the end of 2018, I, I, I left to become... Uh, an independent consultant. And one of the things that really, that I was really keen on, you know, everyone talks about personal branding and and trying to differentiate yourself from everyone else that's out there. And I had a real interest in procurement technology that mainly came from the fact that I often in corporate felt like a well-paid admin assistant with all of the um, with, with with all of the the tactical stuff that procurement gets involved in, because you know, unlike sales, procurement is a pretty lean, leanly run function and doesn't have the headcount to support an army of analysts and admin assistants. So that's really what got me involved in tech, more around you know the process efficiency that it can bring. But you know, as we'll discuss later, there are a lot of other 
facets around procurement technology and how it can can drive value to businesses. But that was the angle that I originally got interested in it from. Well, I mean that, and that's really interesting because I think the perception I always think the perception with organisations is that every other company is much better equipped, has got the technology already in place, and in practice that's just not the case. I think there's a tremendous learning curve that many organizations are going through. And, and that's why this particular podcast, I think, is going to be very helpful to, to really put out there on the table what is really going on when it comes to uh, procure tech. So I'd like to start, if I, if I may, by just sort of trying to get an overview from you as to what really is driving digitalization within the procurement function. Well, I mean, if we look at what are the what are the problems that tech can solve, maybe we can tackle that afterwards. But in terms of the technology behind it that's driving digitization of procurement, there are there are really five core areas, or sort of four and a half, if you will, because two of them are sort of interconnected. So there's robotic process automation which if you think about the most obvious example of that, it's automating very transactional processes. And when we think of that in the procurement sphere, we often think of uh, requisition to payment or P2P. There is, there is AI and part of, and part of AI or, or, or something that is a subsection of AI is then machine learning. And that can, that can essentially do a lot of the heavy lifting uh, around things like spend categorization or cleaning of data, it won't get you all of the way there. And you will need a, a, an intelligent professional to be able to analyze and um, and interpret the results of what AI is doing. So it does sort of go machine and man go hand in hand, so to speak, in that sense. But um, but AI and machine learning can can really help to to take away a lot of the work that would have been, you know, a, a month long consultancy project in the past. That those pieces of work can now be done in days and weeks rather than months, uh, thanks to thanks to technology. When you hear of AI and people talk about it, it sounds very glamorous, but actually the picture you're painting is a much more practical one of of actually whether it's cleaning data or just getting it so that you can analyze it better so much quicker. Yeah, I mean, there's always this argument or this concern, especially perhaps with, with people that feel a little bit more vulnerable in their jobs of, of are robots going to replace us all? And the simple answer is no, they won't. They will replace a lot of transactional stuff. Uh, and certainly if you're doing a very tactical procurement role, then there is a very high risk that that your job will be will be automated or will be replaced within within the foreseeable future. You know, certainly I think BPOs, business process outsourcing organizations, are going to have to think long and hard about the model that they offer because, you know, the 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 shared service center in somewhere like Eastern Europe or India, that model is going to become automated pretty quickly with uh, with, a, with a lot of the process or automation around around the more transactional activities but it's very difficult to automate or to or, or, or to eliminate people out of the equation when you're talking about when you're talking about knowledge workers and when you're talking about you know some very nuanced analysis that, that, that you have to do of, of certain scenarios so you can you can use AI or machine learning to 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 cleanse data or to simulate potential outcomes of a negotiation based on based on the power plane and the uh, the Porter's five forces model. When you think about that, 
but you would still need an intelligent procurement professional to be able to to be able to present that story to management and to and to make recommend recommendations. I mean, even a data analyst or a data scientist wouldn't be able to do that because they don't have the knowledge of what the impact of that data is telling you upon how that could impact the business. So it does, yeah. I mean, it it is always the the cliche that you know robots are taking over the world and it's this big sort of glamorous or big fuzzy technical. Um, mystery about what what's going to happen, but when you break it down, it's actually fairly simple. That they can automate a lot of transactional work. They're not going to automate a lot of the thought leadership and knowledge that's necessary to interpret the results of the uh, of the spade work that that a lot of the the technology is is doing to speed up the end to end process. And and that's the direction that we've seen procurement go in over the last well five ten years anyway, becoming more strategic, focused with a smaller group of much sort of highly qualified people that have got, I mean, we're not going to go into all the uh, the skills and the uh, the focus on working with stakeholders in this conversation. But I guess what you're saying is that is providing the tools to enable that work to become the focus and priority. Yeah, it's it gives us the white space to be able to tackle things like supplier relationship management or you know, increasing the amount of time that we spend developing relationships with our stakeholders or, you know, what's just around the corner, there's going to be a deluge of process and governance around uh, around all of the, the ESG work that procurement is inevitably going to have to do with its supply base. So unless you can take some of the more operational work off of procurement's plate, then unless you're going to significantly increase the amount of headcount that you've got in your procurement team, you're not going to be able to keep up with all of it. So I think it's um, it's an enabler to, to, to transition us away from being an administrative slash operational function to being a much more strategic business partner. And that's certainly the hope. You know, will it take us a while to get there? Of course it will. You know, some of the world-class procurement organizations are already doing that, but they're we're still at, we're still very much on the left hand side of the uh, of the um, of the bell curve of the uh, of the axis right now. So yeah, I mean this this will be an evolving situation. So yeah, I mean that's so that's AI and machine learning. The the fourth one is um, is Internet of Things or IoT, and that is specifically specifically around things like supply chain uh, tracking tracking shipments and being able to use things like sensor technology for example to to help drive to help drive cost down or to or to drive efficiency and things like things like facility management contracts for example to uh, to determine how busy how busy toilets are or breakout areas or canteens that can uh, that that can be used to to drive a lot of data and analysis which can then ultimately impact staffing levels and that type of thing um and, and then is the cost of doing that James is is the cost of doing that sort of reasonable or are we talking really high tech stuff here the the cost of the technology is is pretty cheap depending on what you want to do with it then i get the key question is or the investment is how do you present that data because collecting that data is pretty is pretty easy you know machinery and equipment with electrical sensors have been able have been able to to provide analysis of of machine uptime and near misses and or potential quality issues for for a number of years now. It's just you know a lot of manufacturing organisations don't 
present and interpret that data or do anything with it. So the de- the cost of doing that isn't high, but then how much resource or how much investment are you going to spend in having something that you can put on the front end of that to be able to present that data in a way that the average layperson in the business can understand and act upon? Um, you know, if you're a maintenance engineer or if you're a facilities manager or uh, or, or, or if or if you're um, you're if you're a production engineer, how are you gonna how are you gonna interpret that? Um, so so yeah, long answer to a quick question, but no, the technology is very affordable. It's what do you invest to act upon that data, and what do you invest to to present and and display it in a way that everyone's going to understand? Okay, but certainly I can see that under the IoT heading, there are definitely ways that you can make what you do more efficient by having access to that data of performance and, as you say, sort of the uh, utilization of space. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then the final one uh, is blockchain. And, you know, blockchain is still this mysterious thing that often people scratch their heads and say, isn't that just something to do with Bitcoin? And well, yes, it is. But it's it's a lot it's a lot bigger than that. And, you know, I don't claim to be a blockchain expert, although I am quite interested in in sort of cryptocurrency. But the most the, the two most fundamental opportunities that blockchain provides to procurement are supply chain traceability and uh, and, and having time stamped, fully traceable, fully auditable uh, contracts. So, you know, often the, tra- you know, anyone that's used the track changes function in Microsoft Word, quite often the reason we've got no hair, Graham, is we've probably pulled it out trying to deal with Microsoft <laughs> Word and contract management changes because it's, it's, not a, it's not a particularly nice tool to use, but... Um, but inevitably, it's often for for a long time. It's been the only one that can that that can effectively track changes in contracts. But a lot of contract technology now is starting to implement blockchain as as a source of truth. So as you can't just delete or alter another party's changes in Microsoft Word while not being able to track it properly. Okay, to me, that's still some way off. There's been a lot of talk. You read the press on blockchain, but in terms of the the average procurement function. I can't see that being high on the list of the five that you, you've mentioned. Am, am I sort of not willing to change quickly enough? Or do you think that's a, a fair comment and we need to wait and see? It, I see it being more used or implemented in finance first and, and let them almost develop it and then see how procurement can take advantage. I think, yeah, so I would I would agree with you up, into a, up, to, up to a point. I don't think we'll see the fastest implementation on contracts per se, but I do think we will see very rapid implementation of blockchain around uh, on the on the ESG side around supply chain traceability, um, especially with companies that are sourcing raw materials or commodities uh, in 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 very delicate markets. You know, if, if you're sourcing textiles from Bangladesh or if you're sourcing cobalt from from the Congo or if you're sourcing cocoa from from West Africa. I think that's an area, especially especially with the amount of damage that scandals can do to a to a company's brand. You know, I think Mondelez were were raked over the coals for um for for their traceability and and um and and sort of fair trade policy around cocoa sourcing. I think they they got embroiled in something around child labor, I think from memory and uh, and, and if you look at Boohoo, the UK online retailer that got that got embroiled in uh, in the scandals around their supply chain in Bangladesh on textiles, it's um, I think that's where we're likely to see it move quickly. 
Interesting. So you're right, coming back to that ESG, that whole traceability, then, yeah, that's uh, that's one that is actually easier to put a, an ROI when you are talking about risk and brand reputation. Yeah, it, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so thanks for listing those five. And I think we probably can all relate to those to a, a greater or lesser extent. But I, I almost want to address it sort of what problems can this technology actually solve for you? I think let's look at it from that perspective, because it's great talking about tech all day, but actually the tech is a, a means to an end. We're trying to solve some business problems here. Yeah. What What would your recommendation or suggestions be that uh, are good problems to get solved by considering some of this technology? Yeah. And it's a fantastic question to ask, because ultimately, if you're looking at digitizing procurement or your supply chain in some form, then the first question that you need to ask is, why are you doing it? You know, what's your biggest, what's your biggest challenge in your business that's keeping you up at night or that's that's giving you the struggles? You know, if you're um, if you're a financial services company, then you're probably not going to invest in software that that deals with supply chain traceability, for example. No. So I, I've listed six main ones, and I'm sure anyone that's got a lot of experience here that's listening will will maybe be able to pick out some more. But I think I've covered the six off that that are the key ones that are gonna, that are going to affect most businesses. So number one, and this is going back to the Deloitte CPO survey in 2021, where for the first time since I can remember, increasing or improving process efficiency came top of the list in terms of what keeps CPOs up at night. So that's the most obvious one in terms of if you can remove a lot of the administrative or transactional or non-value added work in a procurement professional's average day, you know, if you look at what their effective hourly rate is when you divide their salary by the amount of hours that they work in a year, these are the sort of things that are ripe for either automation or delegation because it's it's not something that someone that's on a category manager's salary should really be doing. So things like automating or streamlining the streamlining the P2P process, you know, enabling stakeholders to self-serve on 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 a lot of high uh, on a lot of high volume, low impact spend, things like spare parts or office supplies, you know, the type of thing that that an organization would typically buy pretty much every day, but doesn't necessarily need a procurement person to touch it as long as the right controls and processes are set up in, in the system. Uh, e-sourcing, so you know, taking RFPs or RFQs or RFXs out of email and Excel and, and putting them through an e-sourcing platform. Uh, and no, that doesn't automatically mean running a reverse auction. A lot of people automatically jump to that conclusion, but there's a, there's a lot of part of the battle there is just bringing as much spend as possible into one platform and one source of truth that's easy to search through. Because if if your if your files and bid analysis is is sat on a C drive or even on SharePoint, which is often difficult to negotiate to to navigate unless you customize it properly, then when someone leaves the business or moves to a different category, which in big companies is a regular occurrence, you know people tend to move jobs every three or four years, then you know that that information, that data just gets lost. So the single source of truth argument is a big one there. Supplier scouting is another area that can improve process efficiency. You know, it's not an efficient use of a procurement professional's time just googling for a supplier in a in a category or in a supply base that they that they may not be be experts on. 
The big one and one that always used to annoy the hell out of me was around vendor intake or vendor onboarding. You know, it shouldn't take two weeks to onboard a new supplier, but, you know, I've worked in organizations where it did for one reason or another. And just through having a, a, a centralized foolproof process to ensure that, are, that there are no errors in the data that suppliers are entering to get them added to, to a vendor master or into an ERP system, there are much more efficient ways of doing it than through a macro-enabled Excel form that's sent out by email. Uh, and then the final one around process efficiency that I'd noted was uh, was contract authorization. You know, instead of emailing contracts around for signatures or worse, still printing them off and putting them on an executive assistant's desk for them to go and uh, and get the signature from, from the big cheese whenever he or she's not traveling. That's a huge time saving. So process efficiency would be number one. Number two would be, and this is especially pertinent in today's market would be security of supply. Uh, so this was never really a big deal when before we got into the age of, uh, of supply chain disruption, but there's more and more focus, rightly so, given the environment that we're in at the moment on things like risk management and supply chain traceability and where is my shipment or you know being able to track and trace where where a delivery is or or understand where there may be bottlenecks or disruptions or or force majeure events in the supply chain. So there's all sorts of tech that can help that around market intelligence or using things like IoT uh, to track shipments uh, or or bringing in external data from other sources into the same platform. So as you can get a holistic overview of uh, of your supply chain beyond just you know, your very strategic first-tier suppliers that you've probably been managing well all along if you look at the 80-20 Pareto of, you know, who are your core vendors. And uh, I guess also insecurity of suppliers having access to financial data as well, because if uh, if you've got a supplier that's that's about to go under, then then that could quite easily cause a, a supply crisis if, um, if you're not able to get to get parts or, or services from them anymore. So James, are you saying that the tools are going to help? I mean, it's not going to resolve these. Suppliers are still going to go into liquidation or fail. Oh, of course they are, yeah. But are you saying that actually because it is a potential problem that you're going to be in a much stronger position if you've got that advance warning through the data that you're collecting and, and using these tools to support? It's all about the data. That's, that's it. You hit the nail on the head. You know, if you look at... You know, Amazon is not really an e-commerce company. Tinder is not really a dating app. They're, they're data companies at heart. That's how they make their money. They make their money through knowing everything about you. And we need to take that logic. It's scary. <laughs> it is scary, but we, we need to take that logic. But it, you ha- you've got to take that concept and put it into what's happening in your supply chain. If your data on your supply base is garbage and if your market intelligence on your suppliers is is rubbish, then then you're going to get into these problems. If you're not able to track your ocean freight, especially now, you know, with capacity constraints and containers getting delayed at transshipment ports, all the things I used to buy ocean freight. <laughs> know a bit about this, but all the things that can go wrong in a in a in a shipment when you're sending it by sea, you know, by air and by road to a lesser extent, but still you know, you have issues there too. If you're not able to track that and you're relying on calling your freight forwarder to say, hey, can you tell me where this is? <laughs> this is basic stuff. But I mean, the logistics industry has 
is probably even behind procurement in terms of digitization. It's just not had the investment over the years because especially shipping has been a low margin industry. I mean, Maersk recently announced record profits, but they what they don't tell you is they've been losing money hand over fist, you know, for the back in the back in the mid 2010s. You know, when I was buying the ocean freight, it was it was almost like a buffet in terms of, you know, asking what you wanted to get from the uh, from the ocean carriers as, as savings. It was just a brutally competitive market. OK, good. So, so that's um, that's three. You got a further three, have you, of yes, uh, core then, problems that technology can solve? Yeah, so we touched on it a little bit on on security of supply and around data, but data enhancement is the is the other problem that it can that it can fix. So particularly, I'm thinking now more around material master and and, and especially vendor master data. We have a big problem in procurement that sales data is touched in companies by much fewer people. Than, than vendor data is unless unless you're a b2c e-commerce company and then you know you're going to have millions of customers but typically organizations have many more suppliers than they do customers so the obvious conclusion that we can draw from that is that and in theory you know everyone in an organization deals with a supplier at some form you know even if it's just even if it's just the case or down the road that makes lunch for business meetings so not so many people come into contact with, with with customers or at least not directly so that as background gives you some knowledge or understanding as to why procurement data is often quite messy and if you add on to the fact that historically there's not been any investment in in vendor master data or material master data and there's never really been any clear ownership of it you know okay so if finance is owning the the accounts payable data but then procurement is is owning the strategic relationship and the contracts it's how do you bring all of that together into one platform and enhance that so as you've got good data and you know your supplier and that sort of fits in nicely to the next one which is around improving stakeholder collaboration and include and improving customer experience if you've got good data on your suppliers that can drive you know, how you bring in things like supply relationship management. It, it, it can facilitate, technology can facilitate things like project management around, you know, if you look at the triangle between, I mean, this is this is audio, so you can't see the triangle that I'm doing. If you if you can if you can use technology to bring together the triangle of communication between procurement stakeholders and suppliers in one collaborative platform that immediately takes that communication chain out of people's inboxes and email inboxes are not easy to manage you know even if you've got quite an advanced folder and tagging and flagging and and and, pit and pinning system it's not easy to track email chains whereas if you've got conversations divided into divided into projects and you've only got certain people in that communication it's kind of like a kanban board if anyone's used something like trello or asana maybe in their in their in their lives then there are there are solutions out there in procurement tech that do something very similar but focused on on, on procurement um procurement performance metrics for example you know procurement professionals moan that we only ever get measured on savings we've now through procurement technology got the golden opportunity of having of having a nice, easy to use front end that can track projects that deliver wider added value on things like sustainability or on, you know, big things that move the bottom line, like operational efficiency and production or energy savings that that deliver huge value to the business and procurement are often involved in, but never get measured on because historically we've only been measured on savings. Now, 
if you've got a really nice, easy to use database that can that can do that. I worked on I worked in Lotus Notes doing that 15 years ago, but it was horrible to use, and not everyone really knew how to access the data. So again, it's it's how is that data portrayed? How easy is it to use? Will stakeholders adopt it? So yeah, I mean, improving that whole relationship between stakeholders, suppliers, and, and procurement, and seeing seeing our stakeholders or our suppliers almost as customers of the tech that they use. Um, order tracking is another one, you know, in terms of being able to, to easily communicate when there's changes to a purchase order, you know, data, data and that really go hand in hand. The next one very, that touches very closely supplier relationship management is compliance. And you can, you can pitch that in a whole different number of ways. So if you're in finance, for example, you can use technology to, 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 to look at fraud detection or to, to audit things that typically never get never get looked at like freight invoices to see if there's any to see if there's any fraud in there because um, you know it doesn't have a fixed price so often you know freight what freight uh, freight invoices just just get pushed through just get approved in the banking system there's a term called KYC which is which is know your customer and there's an increasing dialogue now of KYS which is know your supplier or KYV know your vendor there are tech platforms that can do 360 supplier management not just on supplier performance but also on on supplier risk in terms of how you audit and how you onboard your vendors so if compliance especially in the manufacturing sector is is big around audit or certification you know especially things like automotive or food production where where you know certain quality for certain quality or, or hygiene certification is a is is a fundamental part of your supplier onboarding there are tech platforms that can pretty much manage that, all of that, and all of your supplier performance management in one system. ESG is a whole rabbit hole, which we could spend probably an hour talking about, but there are all sorts of platforms out there that can measure, uh, that can measure things like carbon or, the, or, or the carbon or that can measure um, social impact or that can, can measure material traceability. Again, going into you know, blockchain being, being part and parcel of that. So, you know, compliance is a big problem that tech can solve. And then the final one for anyone that thinks I've left the elephant in the room uh, to one side is, is obviously, you know, where does procurement come from initially? Cost reduction or, or perhaps better said cost control or cost mitigation in, in the inflationary environment that we find ourselves in these days. So the classic cases are procurement tech now can make tail tail spend management a lot more effective and there's a, there are tools out there that can help with guided buying or can even do automated negotiation now on very simple purchases there are there are tools out there that can that can do deep analysis on cost estimation uh, per category you know if you look at should cost analysis uh, that that is very advanced and also very very affordable actually when you consider especially in terms of direct material spend. If you're spending millions of pounds or euros, dollars on, on direct materials, there is software out there that you can buy. If you've got a specific category that you spend a bunch of money on, you can spend about 20K and you can get a pretty damn good cost estimation tool for a, for a specific category. And then final one that obviously is the enabler to help you deliver cost reduction uh, is a good spend analytics platform or a good spend analytics uh, suite. But to be able to get the most out of spend analytics and ensure that you don't just have the biggest piece of the pie 
as uh, as uncategorized in your taxonomy. Going back to the, what we said a few minutes ago, you need to invest in in having good data before you're going to get uh, the best results from spend analytics. Actually, there's, that's, there's a consistent theme there, James, because you've said throughout this that you have got many areas where the technology can help. But if the data is rubbish or you haven't got that clean enough to be able to work with to start with, then a lot of the sort of follow-on technology is is going to be of, of limited use. So would you say that really you've got to get the data, the cleaning and the analytics right and then consider some of these other problems or challenges and get tools to support them? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of liken it a little bit to to buying a Ferrari and then trying to drive it along a dirt track. If you if you're investing a bunch of money in technology, but the data that you're putting into it is is, is garbage, then you you then it's it doesn't take a genius to work out that you're not going to see the results. It's like like or if you spend if you spend a hundred pounds a month on a gym membership, but then you spend all day eating McDonald's and chocolate, then it, it's it's the same analogy. Excellent, good, thank you, James. So I think the the purpose of that conversation was very much to bring to your awareness the the fact that there are very common issues that procurement faces day in day out that can be addressed by by different systems. I think to to conclude this conversation, I'm just keen to summarize aside from the cost and negotiating these specific systems. What else should you look for when going down that road of, of saying, look, I do want to invest in some technology? What do you need to look at to make sure that you don't go off the rails? So there are, there are five key ones and two that may come into play depending on, on the maturity of the solution that you're looking at. And the two that, the two that I'm going to mention first are the ones that it irritates me a little bit that a lot of these big research houses don't really consider that in their best of analyses when you when you see all of these lists that are out there. So number one is the time and the amount of resource that you need for implementation. If you're a mid-sized business and you're trying to implement an enterprise level suite that needs an army of consultants and needs a year end to end to be able to plan, implement and uh, and, and use that solution, then, uh, then, then you know you're, you're dead in the water from the beginning. So that that is often ignored, but it's it's a huge one because if you want to see ROI on your investment, or if you don't want to have your project um, running out of control in terms of budget or, or creep, then then that's a massive one. The other one is user experience. You want users to adopt this tool. So if you're buying a very very feature rich platform, and I'm not going to name names, but there's one that's very famous out there that procurement professionals hate using, but still has ma- massive market share. If people don't use it and you're spending a fortune on this technology, then then what's the point? You know, I'd rather invest in a piece of procurement tech that only does 70% of what I want it to do, but, but 90% of the user base adopt it and enjoy using it and actively go towards it rather than figuring out a way around the system. What's the customer support like from the supplier? You know, is it, are you just sending help desk requests through a ticketing system to an outsourced customer service center in a low cost country? Or, or do you have a dedicated customer success manager that's going to walk through with your team and that, and that you've got their direct phone number and email address if you've got a problem? Likewise, especially if they're a fairly early stage startup, 
if you're in the UK and their customer success teams in San Francisco, then you're not going to be able to get hold of them until halfway through the afternoon, which is <laughs> which is a consideration. Cybersecurity is a big one uh, that often gets overlooked. And this is especially important to make sure that your IT stakeholders are, uh, are actively involved in, in the sourcing process to be able to understand the risk and, and what mitigations uh, these tech companies have taken. Because as I mentioned, you know, some of them are still quite early stage startups and hacking and, and, and cyber risk is, is becoming more and more of a, of a feature of, of the world that we live in, sadly. Uh, and, then, and then the final one of the five is how mature is the solution? Um, and by that, I mean, what do you as the customer want to get from it? You know, if you want to partner with an early stage startup and have the advantage of being one of their first customers to be able to, to influence what they develop as their next features and help and help grow together. But then, you know, accept the fact that they might not be able to provide world class customer support because they're still grow- going through some growing pains or that the tech may not look as nice as you'd like it to because they're still developing it, then then that's kind of an offset that you need to consider. But likewise, if you're going for a very mature solution, is it built now on a tech stack that's 20 years old and is becoming rapidly obsolete and is being usurped by a lot of the, uh, the new entrants to the market? So they would be the five main ones. The other two that I would also put in there and this is kind of going into the environment that we're in now that we're, you know, we're recording this at the end of May. We're probably going to see a recession or certainly an economic downturn towards the end of the year. How profitable is the tech company if they're dependent, you know, if they're on life support and they need venture capital money uh, for the ne- and the next round of funding to survive, to be able to keep investing in marketing and acquisition, then the venture capital market's going to get more conservative than it has been, I suspect, if there's an economic downturn. They're going to look a lot more closely about what they invest in. So if you're the tech platform that you're looking to to buy, it is not profitable and is very diff- very dependent on VC money and is focused more on growth rather than uh, rather than profitable revenue, then I would definitely consider that. And then finally, again, going to the ones that are maybe a bit more early stage, how valuable is your organization to them as a customer, especially if you're working in a large corporate? If they're a tech platform that, that relies on things like AI and machine learning, if you've got a bunch of data that's going to be really, really helpful to them, that can be a huge factor to your advantage in any negotiations that you're having because they really want you as a reference client. Excellent. James, thank you. Yeah, that's a real... Good insight in terms of how you should sort of look at working with a, a potential supplier and some of the things that you should consider before onboarding them. And the previous conversation about the, the problems that can be solved, I like the fact we've been able to have a non-techy conversation about procurement tech. Yeah. And and I think that's really what it's all about. It's understanding the challenges and the problems and recognizing there are tools out there to uh, to be able to help. I'm hoping that through your explanation of all those different areas across procurement where the technology can help, that it, it gives some food for thought for people that are perhaps investing or looking to see what they should start with. And I think I'm going to say the last point clearly was your loud 
very clear statement about data, getting it clean, having it usable, and then building on it with all the other types of technology. James, it's been great talking to you today. Really appreciate your insights and uh, and look forward to our, our next conversation. Uh, absolute pleasure, Graham. Thank you for having me on. And it's been great to talk about something that I'm clearly very passionate about. So yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, then I'm on LinkedIn and just uh, drop me a message. I'd love to connect. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this CASME podcast. All episodes can be found on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a future one. If you'd like to find out more about CASME's procurement events, research and benchmarking, get in touch with us at casme.com.